each one of these uh, segments of the service today comes from our text in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And so we can be thankful at this time of year, uh, but specifically in verse 24, it says, and when he had given thanks, this is the Greek word eucharisto, where we get the English word eucharist, which it means to give thanks. And so we gave you an opportunity at this point. That was part of the sermon for today, and you delivered it. So praise the Lord. But uh, here is uh, my praise. If you've been attending for a year or less, would you just raise your hand? All right, look around. Keep your hands up and look around. So if you don't know one another's names, it's okay, because there's a lot of new people here. So you may put your hands down. And so today after the service, if you saw some of those hands go up and you've been here for more than a year, gravitate to those people, talk to them today, build those relationships, and thank the Lord for the new people the Lord is sending to us. All right, so let's move on. Uh, today is also a feast of remembrance. And so this is in verse 24. Uh, he said, um, take eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. And so it is a feast of remembrance. But can you just please take your Bibles and put a, something here, a ribbon or a bulletin, because we're, we're going to come back to 1 Corinthians 11, but then go over to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew 27. Beginning in verse 32, um, we see Christ being led out of the city to go to the cross. And we have here Simon of Cyrene uh, carrying his cross. And of course, this really becomes the heart of discipleship, does it not? But we can be thankful that we have the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So we can remember what he did for us. We also can remember his words. And he said, if any man will not take up his cross and follow me, he is not worthy to be called my disciple. So let's remember what the Lord has done for us, and we also should carry uh, the cross of Christ with us in our lives. So we saw uh, verse 33, they led him out to the place called Golgotha, that is the place of the skull. In Latin, uh, that is where we get the name of our church, Calvary, all right, means the place of the skull. So did you know that you're attending the church in Latin, that means the place of the skull, all right? But uh, so here, the Lord would die for us uh, at this place. And so they gave him vinegar to drink, uh, mingled with gall. So the bitter taste of our sin. Uh, they crucified him. Uh, they parted his garments. Um, and scripture was fulfilled. Um, and then they watched him, and they mocked him. They set up, verse 37, the title over his head, this accusation written, this is Jesus, King of the Jews. And the two thieves uh, began to revile him. Verse 39, the people that were passing by reviled our Lord. And so there was a road there at the foot of the cross. And as people went by, they mocked Jesus and made fun of him. But he was suffering for you and me. Even the leaders, verse 41, were mocking him. The scribes and the elders uh, made fun of him in verse 42. They said, 
he saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. I wonder, do you believe that? Do you think they would have believed him if he had come down from the cross? And um, he said that he trusted in God. Let him now deliver him if you will uh, have him. For he said, I am the son of God. So even questioning that relationship that he said that he had with his father, that's painful. Uh, verse 45, there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour. Uh, the overwhelming horror of sin that's symbolically the darkness of our life without God. And then the anguish, the ultimate anguish of the cross in verse 46. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I think that was the ultimate pain of the cross, to be separated from his father, because that had never happened. In eternity past, never will it happen in eternity future, but it happened in that moment of time. Um, they mocked to see if someone would come and deliver him. How cruel just to watch someone in pain. and not do anything about it. And so the Lord was suffering for us. And then that mighty earthquake in verse 51 and 52, and how God's power was on display, but a way into the presence of God was made for us. That veil that was between the holy place and the holiest place, uh, maybe 20, 30 feet tall, a foot thick, was ripped from the top to the bottom, signifying God's power that the way into God's presence had been made available to us because of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it is a feast of remembrance. Let's go ahead and have our next song here at this time. Now, Pastor might get mad at me, but since I have a microphone and I'm at the pulpit, I have a testimony too, and uh, kind of a challenge for all you folks, really. Um, the past year or so, I've been studying on uh, science, and mainly about the, the incredible complexity of the human body. And this was triggered years ago. Uh, I was in Rick Maddish's Sunday school class, and he played a video series by Ken Ham on Answers in Genesis. And I can't tell you how long ago it was, but it was in one of those tapes that's about this big, if you remember. Uh, <laughs> multiple tapes, I think. But he was pointing to the foundation of Genesis as uh, scripture and pointing to Jesus and revelation and our salvation. And... Uh, I started studying this last year about uh, off and on. There's a number of websites out there, uh, creation scientists that have, uh, there's the Institute for Creation Science, the ICS, there's uh, Answers in Genesis, and several others you can find that uh, have different, speak on different parts of science that point to a creator God. And if you just look at the human chromosome, the human genome, and how complex it is, how it 
has every bit of information to make your eyeball, the retina, the uh, optic nerve that goes to your brain, a brain that can flip the image back right side up because you see it upside down. Um, it's impossible that that could happen over millions of years of accidents. So if you have friends, neighbors, relatives, even you yourself think that we were created from uh, evolutionary processes, challenge them with that. That's quite eye-opening. Sorry, Pastor. Okay, when I survey the wondrous, wondrous cross. When I A feast of remembrance. If you have your Bibles, let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we'll look at that phrase for just a moment. Actually, we're done with that one. There we go. A feast of evaluation. So back in 1 Corinthians 11, beginning in verse 27 through 32, we have the time of evaluation before partaking of the Lord's Supper. I'll begin reading in verse 27. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Now, verse 28 is where we get this feast of evaluation. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. So here's the, the point that we are to do here, all right? is we are to examine our lives and we're to see here that you can partake of the cup in an unworthy manner. What does that mean? Well, in your own personal life, you fail to distinguish between what is evil and what is good. You fail to distinguish what is righteous and what is unrighteous. And so you blend it together. And so then you're, in a sense, despising the work of Christ because he had to die for sin. And so we need to examine ourselves. That means to pass judgment of ourselves and call sin, sin. And to 
strive in our lives to live a different life, to live a holy life. And so here, really, when it says examine, let a man examine himself, it means to put your heart to the proof. It's a moral exercise. So before we partake of communion here at Calvary, we often have a time of silent introspection, and that will happen today. And we're preparing uh, for communion here in just a couple of minutes. But it's that exercise where you evaluate what's going on in your own heart and life. And when you remember Christ's death, then you do that on a regular basis, not just at a communion service, but in your life, but especially at communion. Then it puts a barrier to sin in your life because you're properly appreciating what Jesus Christ has done by giving his body and his blood. And so then it says in verse 28, and so let a man then eat and drink. So once that's done, then go ahead. All right? So that's God's fence, if you will, around his table. All right? Uh, what happened in the Corinthian church is they lost that distinction and they were sick. Verses 30 through 32. Now the Lord brought judgment upon them because they were not respecting uh, the holiness of God and what the Lord had done for them. But to close this time out, let's take our Bibles and go over to Psalm 139 and look at the prayer of the psalmist as he wants to be sure that he is in fellowship with God. Psalm 139, we'll look at verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Let's sing at this time, number 497, Search Me, O God. If you like, go ahead and stand and stretch your legs a little bit. Did I skip over? Uh, All right, you may be seated. At the beginning of the month when we had the Lord's table, I put out for your consideration 
Uh, what do you do as a believer while you wait for the elements to be distributed to the whole congregation? Because sometimes it could take up to five minutes or so for that to happen. And I, I shared four thoughts with you. Uh, beginning here in verse 27, he gave thanks. Well, you can thank God for your salvation and all the blessings that he's brought into your life. So that's one thing you can do. Uh, we're also to remember the body and the blood of our Lord as it was shed. So you can focus on remembering the gospel accounts of what Jesus has done for you and then applying that to your life. And then, obviously, we've just had that feast of evaluation. And so evaluate yourself and then confess any sin and get that right, and then you can eat. That's what the scripture just said. And so partake then at that time. And then uh, the fourth thing that you can do is uh, what we will see here in a minute is this feast of fellowship or a feast of unity is that you can renounce selfishness in your life and you can resolve to be others-oriented and a servant Christian. So these are four things you can do uh, as the elements are passed around, as you can concentrate upon those. Uh, find a passage of Scripture, Hebrews 10, 1 Corinthians 11, Matthew 27, uh, even maybe John 10, and just read some Scripture as the elements are passed around. But at this time, let's have that moment of silence, and then we'll uh, distribute uh, the bread uh, of our Lord Jesus Christ, which represents his body. Let's pray. Lord, we are truly grateful as we anticipate this week going into a holiday that we call Thanksgiving. Uh, Lord, it's not thanks family or thanks football or thanks anything else, but it's thank God. And Lord, may we remember the wonderful blessing that we have in that relationship with you as we concentrate here at this moment upon your broken body, that it was with your stripes that we are healed, that you were pierced for our iniquities, you were bruised for our transgressions. So Father, we thank you uh, that you have given your life for ours. And it is at this time we ask you to search our heart and help us to distinguish in our own life if there is some sin that we're cultivating, that we're sheltering, giving harbor and protection to, Lord, that we would right now at this very moment renounce that sin and that we would ask you to cleanse it, that we would make that distinction between right and wrong. And Lord, that with renewed appreciation in our heart and faith that we would move forward knowing that you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all our sin. And we thank you in Jesus Christ's name. And God's people say, Amen.
Well, on that night, he gave thanks. He took the bread, he broke it, and he said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. There's also a feast of fellowship. We'll be looking at that in just a moment. But um, as we look at this, we see that there's a tie that binds us together with Christ. And we can be thankful for that union with Christ. We call this communion or with union. Uh, we are unified with our Lord Jesus Christ. And um, so if you're back in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, let's look at verses 20 through 22. Now I know when we started the scripture reading today, some of you had this kind of quizzical look on your face. Why does the section on communion start like this? Uh, when you come together, therefore, into one place, uh, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, everyone taketh before the other his own supper, and another is hungry, and another is drunk. What have ye not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise ye them which have not? What shall I say unto you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. And then as he concludes uh, the passage, then he tells them, you, you have your own house to do certain things in. So what, here's what was going on. Uh, verse 33 says, Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. And so this is why we call this a feast of fellowship. That phrase, one another. Communion is not something that you actually practice as an individual in your home. This is what we do together as a church. I wish we would think of other things in our Christian experience that way. Sometimes we privatize our relationship with Jesus way too much when it needs to be done in community with other believers. But here, specifically, they were being selfish, and they weren't considering the financially disadvantaged or the poor within their congregation that didn't have uh, things to bring to what we would call today a potluck, all right? They called it the agape feast, the love feast at that time. And um, so they were being selfish in that regard and, and eating and drinking, and sometimes they were even abusing it, uh, the Lord's table, and, and getting drunk on the cup. And so the apostle was condemning them for their wrong practice of communion. Um, now, I know that you probably don't understand this, but uh, in the history of the church, within really the last century, especially in America, grape juice has been served instead of wine. But if you go in other places of the world, they still have wine at communion. And sometimes people abuse that. I know that we, uh, when I was a child, our church bought a, um, a nunnery. And there were a lot of uh, nuns and priests that ministered in parochial school setting. 
and the basement was filled, it was a wine cellar, all right? And, and there were reports of a lot of drunkenness that, that took place in that. And so there's an example of how this could be taken advantage of. So essentially what the apostle is saying, look, let, let's do this together and let's consider one another. And when we do a moment of introspection, we're asking God to cleanse our life so that we can better able minister to those within the body of Christ. We're all in this together. This is a church. This is the family of God. And what you do as an individual does impact your family. And so it is a feast of fellowship. And so we renounce the self-centered life we consider one another. One commentator put it this way, only when we consider one another does the feast become a love feast. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6 says, there's one Lord, uh, one body, one church, one faith, uh, one food, meaning communion. There's only one meaning behind the symbolism, and that is we're going to look at in a feast of proclamation. But it's not about us. It's not about you as an individual believer. It's not about me. This is about the Lord and his church, his body. And so let's go ahead and sing uh, another song here now. Uh, number 570, Blessed Be the Tie That Binds. Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love, a fellowship of kindred minds is like to that All right, I'm going to ask, Bruce, would you ask the blessing on the cup, please?
Well, we can be thankful to the Lord that His blood is what sanctifies us positionally and then gives us the power to be practically sanctified every day in our lives. And one day, we would be permanently sanctified because of His sacrifice for us. So drink ye all of it in remembrance of Him. There's a little interaction between the pastor and deacons as we partake of the Lord's table. Uh, usually the last deacon um, is served, and then he holds the tray, and the pastor is the last. And so that falls into consider one another, but then that also represents the fact that as the shepherd, I'm the least, and that the body is the greatest. And so I'm thankful for the Lord's people and that we have this time to celebrate his table today. Well, let's move on. We have just a couple of things left in the uh, service to look at. If you have your Bibles, go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And uh, we'll look at the um, Feast of Proclamation. We have a message to proclaim. And we can be thankful that we have something to live for besides our own lives. And so... This phrase, uh, beginning um, in verses, uh, let's see here. i got to flip my page over here. Uh, 26b, you do show the Lord's death. Now, that's not the word euangelion to proclaim the gospel. That's a different word, which means that you demonstrate. So, sometimes on Sunday morning when we're doing communion, we have unbelievers present with us. Well, what do they see? Well, I trust that they would see Christ honored for his life's work on the cross. Now, he goes on to say that we will not be condemned with the world, but the world will be condemned. So I trust the feast today. There's thanksgiving in your heart, that appreciation. There's that remembrance, there's that uh, evaluation, there's that fellowship, but now also that we're motivated to leave this place and realize when we walk out the doors today, we're entering our mission field. And we have a message to proclaim. So let's sing about that today. Um, number 310, The Old Rugged Cross. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love. So all 
invite as we prepare to close our service, you have that prayer card. If you haven't filled that out yet, go ahead and fill that out. Ephraim will collect that in just a moment. But uh, let's take our Bibles one more time and go to uh, 1 Corinthians 11, chapter, uh, chapter 11, verse 26, and we'll look at the end of that verse and what it declares to us about the Lord's feast. For as often as you drink this bread and drink this cup, you do show, that's the proclamation, the Lord's death. And what's the last phrase there? Till he come. So it is a, thank you, Ephraim, a feast of anticipation. Hey, Jesus Christ is coming back. And we need to keep our eyes focused on that. You know, a lot of us have probably been glued to watching the Senate seats tick up or the, you know, the, the house of the seats tick up, or the house of representatives, and we've been really anticipating and focusing on certain things on this earth. But how much more should we focus our gaze on the Lord Jesus? Because his kingdom is coming. And when we partake of the Lord's table like we have today, we get to focus on that thought. Hey, he's coming back. And I want to be ready for when he comes, because I'm going to be partaking of this with him in his kingdom. That's what he said in Matthew chapter 26, um, 27, uh, verse 29. From henceforth I will not drink of the fruit of the vine with you until I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So this is for believers in the church, uh, church age and beyond. Our faith is going to become sight one day. I mean, that's glorious, folks. Christ is coming. And so we can rejoice and be thankful that we get to partake of the bread and of the cup now because we'll be doing it in the kingdom. But closing verse, and then we'll have a closing song, but let's focus our attention on Matthew chapter 6, verse 10 for just a moment. Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. <coughs> This is the Lord's Prayer. Notice what he says. When you pray, pray like this. And then he says, Thy kingdom come. But does he stop there? What does he say? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see that anticipation? <coughs> Should impact our present. The future can change your life now. Think about that. How should it change your life? What manner of person should you be? You've had a time of silent introspection today, evaluating your heart, trying to change it into the image of Christ Jesus. You've been challenged to be a selfless Christian, to consider the body of Christ. You have been challenged to be a proclaiming Christian, to invite others into that relationship that you have with Jesus Christ. But it can also change you if you're a person of anticipation. You know what that person of anticipation is? It's that Christmas child that's lost in the wonder. 
What's under the paper? What's in the box? We were talking a little bit about that yesterday. But we get so excited. Well, are we excited about the Lord's return? 